glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God." I believe there's a lot entailed with the statement, they shall see God. You understand the Bible, seeing God is given in a number of different contexts. The Bible said, no man hath seen God at any time, and yet it turns around and says, Moses saw God. You have to scratch your head and say, now did God contradict himself? And the answer is no. Uh, There is seeing someone in the sense of having a perception, and then the Bible talks about not being able to see the glory of God and survive that while we're in this sinful flesh. No man has seen God in that manner at any time. Only Jesus Christ, who's, who he says in the bosom of the Father, has revealed God. But today, it is the heart and the condition of the heart that determines the ability of the mind to perceive. I believe one of the errors we make, for those of you that know you're saved, one of the errors we make, in, and I say we, I'm including myself, something the Lord's had to correct me over, in witnessing to people and trying to get them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is thinking, if I could just make things clear enough to them, they would believe it. And the truth is, belief comes first, sight comes second. When we believe, we see. We have the little statement, seeing is believing. That's that's contrary to the truth in spiritual matters. That's true in physical matters. But in spiritual matters, believing is seeing. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We see the spiritual. God is a spirit. You don't see him physically. You perceive him spiritually, and you and I do so by faith. It is faith that purifies the heart. This morning, if the heart is impure, there is no clear perception of God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For they shall see God. Not only see and perceive Him now, the Bible says without holiness, no man shall see God. We have a de-emphasis in our churches in this day on the subject of holiness in the name of we're in a different dispensation. The dispensation of grace does not nullify God's holiness, nor does it nullify His desire that we be holy. It enables it. The law can make no man holy, but grace is able to do so through forgiveness and through the life of Jesus Christ ministered to us by the Holy Spirit. Remember, He is what kind of spirit? Holy. He's holy. Blessed are the what in heart? Pure in heart. For they shall see God. It is said that during the days of the Great Awakening in this country, what was distinct about the churches of America was the purity and the holiness among God's people. You realize in the late 1700s, America was a wicked bunch of people. We don't have a, we don't have a monopoly on evil in our day. What happens is, is we've just not seen an awakening to God, uh, in any, in any large measure. We may never. That's not really even the point. We've got to be faithful to the Lord whether we see that or not. But Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they shall see God. What we've been doing with these Beatitudes is reading them, studying them, and then finding someone in Scripture who exemplifies the statement or the principle that the Lord Jesus puts forward. That brings us today to Stephen. The reason he came to my mind is as Stephen is dying, the Bible says he saw the heavens open and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the glory of God, the right hand of God, meaning he saw a glimpse of God uh, before he died. And that brings us... What, what, Stephen's our first Christian martyr recorded in the book of Acts. Uh, what would give this, this man such a, 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 a spiritual ability? Here's a man of great spiritual force, if you would. Uh, we'll see by the end of the message, Stephen was directly responsible for later Saul of Tarsus coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, I would love to one day get to heaven and the Lord said, you were responsible. I used you as a testimony to convince this sinner to be saved. I don't know about you, I like the idea of being effectual in seeing sinners repent and put their trust in Christ and be saved and turn around and be used for God. But here's the thing. Spiritual power is directly linked to spiritual purity. No purity, no power. I'll say it again. No purity, no power. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When we look at Stephen... One of the things you'll note about him as we read some verses is that it says about him again and again that he was full of the Holy Ghost. He was full of the Holy Ghost. You you have to yield to the Spirit of God to be filled with him. And so we're going to turn now to Acts chapter 6. Here's a man who I believe personifies what it means to be pure in heart. And I believe the Spirit of God recorded and preserved for us in the Bible the fact that he caught a glimpse of of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and His death and saw God, if you would, upon His death that we might make the connection between the pure in heart and those that see God. Now this morning, if we're going to... Have you ever, have you ever said something like this? Well, you know, I, I'm fine because I've searched my own heart. I think most of us have probably said that or thought that. I've searched my own heart and I'm okay How many of you think today you or I are qualified to search our own hearts and make an honest determination without the aid of God? No way. No way. Our pride is so blinding that there's no way we can come to a faithful determination about the condition of our own heart without the aid of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. In Mark chapter 7, I won't turn there right now. We may make it there before the message is over. Jesus said, every evil thing that a man does proceeds from his heart. Every evil thing. You look at every evil in our, in our society and you can take it back to an impurity in the heart of a man. Men murder because they're filled with hate or bitterness. Uh, men commit adultery or fornication because they're filled with lust. Uh, men steal because their hearts are filled with covetousness. Men murmur because their hearts are filled with ingratitude and unthankfulness. And men disobey because their hearts are filled with rebellion. There's sin in our hearts and that sin must be taken care of. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs, Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? You and I, if we're honest, know we can't take care of our own need. We can't cleanse our own heart. But God has provided a way for our hearts to be cleansed, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Upon faith in Him, He pardons us. That gives us cleansing in the sight of God. And then He continues to purify us, and that cleans us up in the sight of men. Amen? 
There's no way. Let me, just, let me just say this before we get into this message because I want to focus our attention on Stephen and how God used him. But there is no way for the Holy Spirit of God to dwell a compartment of my heart that is filled with bitterness. He may be dwelling within me, but he does not indwell that portion of me. Because bitterness is unholy. And may I say this, upon reception of Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit of God, but upon dwelling in you, as soon as He comes in, you know what the first thing He's going to start doing in your heart? Cleaning it up. He's going to clean it up. Once you're saved, He begins a process in your life of cleansing what He possesses. Uh, how many of you have ever bought some old thing? And my wife bought a stroller the other day, and she got a good bargain on it. But the problem, what made it so cheap, is it needed cleaned up. You know what she did within twelve hours of buying it? She started cleaning it up. Got a little bleach water, started scrubbing on that thing, making it look better. Why? Because for it to be useful and safe and a good tool for us, got to be cleaned up. And there are those today who say God will save you. And leave you as filthy as you were when He found you. God will save you that the Holy Spirit and your unholiness simultaneously can coexist, same space, same time. And I'm here to tell you there's nothing like that in the Bible. Where the Holy Spirit dwells, He cleanses. God is a holy God, and once He saves us, He begins in us. He which hath begun a good work in you will what? Perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's Philippians Chapter 1, verse 6. So, let's look at Acts chapter 6. We see a picture of what God can do with a man, what God can do with a heart, when the Lord Jesus Christ is trusted in that heart, and the Holy Spirit of God indwells that heart. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose, here's our character, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith, and here he is again, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said... This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. Uh, For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. We'll get into chapter 7 here 
in just a minute or two. But first, I want to focus on a few things here in Acts chapter 6 about Stephen. Undoubtedly, this is a man with a pure heart. Now, the Bible doesn't use the term, and Stephen had a pure heart. But it does say that he was filled with whom? The Holy Ghost. This, this is what is said about Stephen over and over and over. Now, I want to ask you, what, um, what was Stephen's vocation? Was he a pastor? He was not. Was he an apostle? He was not. He didn't really even have a title. We would now call people who fill his position deacons. That's where we get the idea they waited on tables. That's that Greek word diakonos, which we get deacon from. But he's not even called a deacon here. But what he does have is a testimony of a life that is consecrated to God. He is filled with the Holy Ghost. Filled. What, what compartment of us does the Holy Spirit fill? Our arms, our legs, our brain, or our heart? Our heart. The Bible says He dwells in our hearts by faith. That the Spirit of God, 2 Corinthians 1, tells us that the dwelling place of the Spirit of God is in our heart. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you, a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. When the Holy Spirit of God speaks to you, He's going to speak to your heart. He'll use your head as a channel to your heart, but He's going to speak to your heart. He's going to speak deep within. It's hard to characterize or define or explain uh, that, that matter of the heart. The Word of God does a good job distinguishing between the heart and the soul. But the fact is, we know Stephen was a man of a pure heart. And that word pure means exactly what you mean, what you think. Clean, purified, sanctified, uh, useful, uh, set apart for God's use. It's something that had been uh, cleansed by God for His own dwelling place. Today, God does not dwell in buildings of stone and mortar. Uh, we could, the church here today, we could be told in the next few years, you know what, if you're going to meet in public, uh, you're all going to have to... Mm, take some kind of something. If you're going to be in a public space together, <laughs> you with me? We might say, we can't do that. And they say, well, that's fine, you can't have your building. Oh no, we wouldn't be a church anymore. No, we just wouldn't be able to meet in this place anymore. You with me? A building is not where God dwells. It is if God's people are there. God dwells in bodies. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost because your body is the house for your heart. And here's what happens. Before Jesus Christ cleanses a heart, it's dead in trespasses and sins. That's what Ephesians 2 says. And so, as we look at Stephen this morning, the first thing I want you to see about him is his purity. And if we're going to see his purity, you have to know what is the root of his purity. What makes this man pure? Well, the first thing we're told about Stephen is he was a man full of what? Faith and of the Holy Ghost. You cannot be filled with the Holy Ghost unless you have faith. Go look at me, if you would, at John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Hold your finger there in Acts 6, and we'll go to John 7. You, you, do not, um, you do not have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you at your natural birth. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Must meaning your physical birth does not qualify you for the eternal kingdom of God. You must be born again. There must, I was asked this week on two, by two different people, what is being born again? What is regeneration? I love questions like that. It's wonderful. The term was used, you must be born again. Well, what does it mean to be born again? 
And so explain, it is when you trust Christ and He gives you life. A birth is the receiving of life from someone else, and God, through His Word, stirs your heart, reproves you of your sin, of your righteousness, and of judgment. That's what John 16 says. And when you believe God, that you are utterly incapable to make yourself righteous, to save yourself, that only Jesus Christ, the living Son of God, can save you, then you put your trust in Him, and out of that trust you call on Him. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans ten thirteen. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We need to remember today, God will save those who put their trust in Him in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 7 concerning the indwelling Holy Spirit, in that last day, we're in John seven thirty-seven. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. In parentheses, we have verse 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they, notice very carefully, that believe on him should receive. Who receives the Holy Spirit? Those that believe on Jesus Christ. That is not giving a mere uh, academic assent. If you could sit here today and I say, okay, who's Jesus? And you say, Jesus is the Son of God who left heaven, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. They crucified him 2,000 years ago. He rose from the dead. Those are the facts about Jesus. Does that save you? That's not the kind of belief we're talking about. Belief we're talking about is trust. I actually put my trust in Jesus Christ to take my sin... Wash it clean and give me a new nature. How many of you think the nature you got from mom and dad is good enough? Good enough to take you into an eternity without God, into a place called hell. The Bible says there is none that doeth good. No, not one. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 12 tell us there's none righteous, not one. The fact of the matter is, by nature, we are not good. You say, what does this have to do with our man Stephen? The Bible says he's a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost, based on God's own word. You know what that tells us? There came a time in Stephen's life when he heard the gospel, put his trust in Jesus Christ, and from Jesus Christ received the Holy Spirit of God. Let me say this today. The Holy Ghost is not some spooky idea. He is a living person. He is the God, He is the person of God working among men today. Prior to Jesus coming to the earth, God the Father primarily dealt with mankind. Jesus came to earth fully representing God the Father and dealt with mankind. Jesus left earth and sent the Holy Spirit in His place. And today, when God speaks to you, the Holy Spirit, the author of the Bible, is the one who speaks to you. Our eternity will depend on whether or not we believe what He says to us. Amen? I meet people every week that don't believe the Bible. Don't believe it. They don't believe, the, they pick and choose, I believe this part of the Bible, I don't believe that part of the Bible. To not believe the Bible is to say that what the Holy Spirit of God preserved for us in this book is just not true. It's a very serious thing to not believe the Holy Spirit of God. And so Stephen had the Holy Ghost because Jesus said in John 7, Who is it that receives the Holy Spirit? Those that believe on Him. So Stephen, the root of his purity, here's what I want you to see, the root of his purity was not from himself. The root of his purity was from God. There's no way a man can cleanse his own sin. Uh, it is only Jesus Christ has the power to cleanse our sin. Let me read to you just a couple of other verses concerning this, just 
perhaps there would be somebody here today that you've never believed on Jesus Christ. Let me just say this. Believing on Jesus Christ is as simple as it sounds. He is not a figure of the past. He is not just a historical concept. He is not a concept to make your life better. Jesus Christ is the only one who has the power to deal with your sin problem between you and the God who created you. Only He can redeem you out of sin, cancel your sin debt, and make you fit to go to heaven one day for all eternity. Outside of faith in Jesus Christ, there's no other way of salvation. Salvation from what? Sin. And so then we look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. You don't have to turn there if you want to, you can. The Bible says this of our Lord and Savior. It says... And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You know what it is that takes care of our sins? It's not, here's, here's what we think. This will help you understand the blood of Jesus. Someone says, well, I have guilt in my conscience. I know that I've done sinful things. We, who was with me last week? Jim, was it you last week? We asked the man, uh, he said he's an agnostic. I said, do you believe in sin? He said, oh, absolutely. I said, well, give me some examples. He said, well, you shouldn't cheat on your wife and I don't know what else he said, steal. I said, who said? Who says you shouldn't do those things? Well, how do you define sin? Well, whatever I think is wrong. Oh, now help me now this morning. Who does that make God? That puts good old me right on the throne, doesn't it? That's convenient. No, sin is whatever our Creator says is sin. Every one of us have a conscience that registers guilt to say, yeah, I've sinned. I think if I asked anybody here today, have you ever sinned? Every hand would go up and say, I have. Mine would have to. But what defines sin? The Bible says sin is the transgression of the law. Whose law? God's law. Does it have to be the law of Moses or what about the law of nature? How about the law, just the moral laws that God wrote into your conscience? Is that sin? You better believe it. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin, James 4.17 says. The thought of foolishness is sin. So Stephen, being a man pure in heart, full of faith in the Holy Ghost, may I say he was full of the Holy Ghost because he was full of what? Faith. Let's define faith this morning before we move forward. Faith is not just believing in something outside of yourself. Speaking to a man this week, he's probably in his 60s, and we're talking about faith, and I was giving him the gospel. So there has to come a point where you have to say, I cannot fix myself. He said, that's interesting, because that's exactly what they teach in AA. I said, well, that's the beginning, but that's not exactly what they teach, because they'll teach, put your faith in a higher power. Any higher power? Is that tree higher power? Problem with higher power is it has to be higher in power. That would be God. Amen? And my point to you this morning is Stephen was a man, we can say he was pure in heart because he's full of faith. Faith is this, taking God at His word. Believing thus saith the Lord. Faith is, Romans ten seventeen says it like this, So then faith is the substance of things hoped for. Uh, excuse me, that's Hebrews 11, 1. The evidence of things not seen, Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You know what Stephen had done? He had heard what God said about himself and believed it. Have you believed today what God says about you? Now, I'm just saying, most people, and I'm not, I can't judge hearts in this room, most people haven't fully believed that. God says that my righteousnesses, meaning the very best thing I have to offer God, are as filthy rags. Do I believe that? Here's what some Bible scholar will do. Well, that was written in a different time, but the prophet Isaiah... Look, if prophet Isaiah said, my righteousnesses are as filthy rags, mine are as well. 
God says that there is by no means, there's no way that I can redeem myself. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 9. That's telling me, God's saying, there is not within you the power to save yourself. You're utterly sinful. I believe Stephen, I know, he believed that. He's a man full of faith. He'd taken God at His word that he was a sinner incapable of saving himself. He's a man full of faith, believing that Jesus is not just an idea that some people appreciate, but that He literally is right now the living Son of God. Acts 4.12 had been preached in Stephen's presence, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. May I say this? I'm a narrow-minded person. There's a lot of narrow-minded people in this room. I do not have respect for all religions. I love people in any religion and know God can save any one of them. But don't respect something that's false. This morning, Jesus Christ is exactly who the Bible says He is. He is God who became man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's Jesus Christ. You'll never have a pure heart until you believe that. You can try to change your own heart. I believe this with all my being. There's nothing more difficult, more impossible than for one human to try to change another. I say, I'm going to change your heart. I can't. I can't change my wife's heart. You can't change my heart. Only God can change a heart from something filthy into something clean. Someone say, well, I've always had a pure heart. No friend. None of us has a pure heart without Jesus Christ. None of us. If I've dishonored my parents in my heart, if I've deceived in my heart, one of the greatest things we do in our heart is lie to ourselves. My point this morning is the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. The heart is a filthy thing. That's why we produce filthy things in our lives. Jesus said either make the tree good and the fruit good or make it evil. But an evil tree, a bad tree cannot bring forth good fruit, and a good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit, meaning what Jesus is saying is to get good fruit out of the tree, you've got to change its nature. This morning, your heart and mine is not good by nature. There came a point when Stephen, our our character in Acts 6, came to faith in that truth, that man is not good, that he himself is a sinner short of God's glory, and that Jesus Christ was fully sufficient to make him a new Creature, Second Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There is a time when Stephen had his heart transformed by Jesus Christ. How do we know? Because he was a man full of faith. The root of his faith was Jesus Christ. His faith in the Lord Jesus Christ transformed his heart. Number two, we only see the root of his purity. We're talking about his purity in Acts chapter 6. But we see there was a recognition of purity. May I say this? If the heart is pure, it shows up in your life. And a man this week, he's testimony of salvation. By his own acknowledgement, he says, eh, sometimes I use bad language. Help me here this morning. If somebody says, here's what we, we have a really bad habit. And you just have to bear with me for just a little bit this morning. A really bad habit of belittling what God takes seriously. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying. 
Amen? Is that what the Bible says? So God is concerned, especially for those who are His, who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, that nothing corrupt come out of our mouth. What we'll do is we'll say, well, every now and then I let one slip. And what we mean is every now and then we let two or three or five or ten slip. Now, where do filthy words come from? Right here. The Lord Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Someone says, in my heart I really love the Lord. Then I'll be talking about Him all the time. Amen? Not just on Sunday. Not just when a Bible conversation comes up. But if He's filled... You know what you find about Stephen? He's constantly speaking of Jesus Christ. It's what got him killed. He couldn't shut up about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? He was full of the Holy Ghost. Someone says, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. You know what the greatest evidence of being full of the Holy Ghost is? You go everywhere talking about Jesus Christ. Not talking about how you can serve Him. When we're full of the Holy Ghost, we don't talk about ourselves. We talk about Him. The ministry of the Spirit is to exalt Christ. And there was recognition in the life of Stephen that his heart had been changed. Look at verse 3 of Acts 6. It says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of what? What are the next two words? Honest report. What is honest report? It means to have a report among men that you're honest. Men that know you're true. You're not a fraud. Someone that's been proven and tested. Someone that is more than just a claim of Christianity. You know, we, we, we in America claim to be Christians at about an 80% level. There's no way in the world that's true. I'll just say, there's no way in the world that's true. As I asked the other day, do you think we're one nation under God? I said, absolutely not. I'm glad that God was part of the form of this nation, but a true assessment of our nation, we're not one nation under God unless it's the God of money. The fact of the matter is, we have 80% of the American public that claims to be Christian that won't hardly darken the door of a church where Jesus said He died to create it. He so loved the church that He died for it. Won't hardly crack their Bible open, watch more television than they read their Bible, and never talk about Jesus unless it's to curse. Now I'm just telling you, someone that claims to be a Christian makes a profession that Christ dwells in the heart and still lives like the devil, something's wrong. (laughs) When the heart changes, the mouth changes. When the heart changes, the eyes change. And when your hands change, God changes us from the inside out. I didn't say it's immediate or overnight, but I am telling you this, what God does on the inside comes out on the outside. I don't think anybody had to say, I'm not sure if that Stephen's a Christian or not. No, he's pure in heart, so he's pure in tongue. He was pure in his living. He had an honest report among men. There was a, a testimony about Stephen that he was a faithful man. That is a testimony that someone's heart has been changed. He was a new creature, and it was evident to those who saw him. So the root of his purity was Jesus Christ and faith in him. The, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God is what purified him the recognition of His purity, what God had done on the inside came out on the outside. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I quoted a moment ago, but we should always attach verse 10 as often as we can. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Meaning, God saves you by His grace, and the gracious change that takes place is manifest in how we live. I'm just trying to say this morning, if the heart is pure, then it will end up purifying the life. Here's what we often do. 
I love to use this illustration. Let's say we dug a well. In my house, we have a well. It's got good pure water in it. Thankful for that. But let's say all of a sudden we found out there was some poison in that well. I know what we do. Go down and change the well casing. What I would do, we would change the casing, paint it bright red. The cap right now, I think, is blue. So I think we paint it bright red and uh, maybe put a little gold fixture on the top. That'd fix everything, wouldn't it? No, what's in the well is going to come out, no matter what kind of fixture you put on it. There are those that say, well, if you can clean up a man, it'll change him. And you get his heart changed, it'll clean him up. What Phariseeism did in Jesus' day is change well casings and put nice fancy things on corrupt men, but they were still corrupt in their hearts. And so they would be fastidious about washing their hands. I want you to bear with me for a minute. I'm amazed at the wicked people who right now are fastidious about outward purity. I mean, they put all kinds of garbage in their minds, in their hearts, but boy, you've got to wash your hands and wear your mask. We'd be far better to focus on a purified heart. I'm not against washing your hands. I'm not against trying to prevent disease. Fine, that's good. But it reminds me of Jesus' day when there were Pharisees who said, Oh, you've got to wash this many times a day while their hearts were full of adultery and thievery. Not Stephen. Stephen, the root of his purity was the presence of the Holy Spirit of God because he put his faith in Christ. The recognition was what had taken place on the inside could be seen on the outside. And you can study your Bible, but the grace of God in the heart results in holiness in the life. Second Peter 1.13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. For the graces be brought unto you the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And you know what that's saying? Purity in the heart, the transformed heart, results in a holy life. Stephen's purity, the root of it was the presence of the Holy Spirit of God by faith in Jesus Christ, the recognition he had a good report. But you know when you live a pure life, you'll face and meet resistance. The Bible says in verse 9, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilician of Asia, disputing with Stephen. Why would you go dispute with a man that's of good report, and full of faith, and the Holy Ghost, and full of wisdom? Help me now. We're a smart bunch here this morning. Why would you dispute with someone like that? Because you're not pure. You know what pure living does? It reveals impure living. These religious men had duped a a world into thinking that you could clean up the outside of you while keeping the inside of you dirty. I know of a man this week, this week, I've had a very interesting week. He observes Shabbat, bless his heart, and has multiple wives. By his own admission. So when I asked him about that man, I said, that's a very immoral man. Because he is. That's just the truth. Here's a man who is dotting his I's and crossing his T's, claiming to keep Old Testament law, claiming to be a Jew while living in immorality. It's nothing's changed in 2,000 years. False religion does nothing but cover up a dirty well. Pure religion, undefiled, changes the heart. It's reflected in the life. And when you let your light so shine before men, I'm going to revert some of my redneck days. Bear with me. When you turn a light on, the rats run. (laughs) You with me? Stephen is a bright and shining light where he's at and it brought conviction on the religious leaders because Stephen was genuine and they were frauds. 
May I say this? If God purifies your heart and it starts showing up in your life, don't be surprised if you face resistance. We live in a, in a world that's darkened by sin, and so we see that the purity in Stephen's life was rooted in the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, recognized by his local church, but resisted in the world in which he lived. It's the same today. Uh, we might get the idea, if I'm pure in heart, then I'll just get along with everybody. Not so. You get along with everybody that loves God. But those who don't love God and those whose hearts are not pure are going to resist the wisdom by which you're living. There's a lot of resistance to pure and holy living today rooted in the presence of Jesus Christ. Number two, let me see Stephen's purity. We'll move a little faster now. We see in Acts 6 that because his purity had power. Look at verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith. We've seen he's full of faith in the Holy Ghost. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and them of Cilician of Asia, disputing with Stephen. Verse 15 says, And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. See, what was it, glowing? I don't think it's what it means. If you were an angel, who would intimidate you? I mean, honestly, if you're Gabriel, who would scare you? Uh, nobody. <laughs> Gabriel took on the devil and gave him a whooping. <laughs> I got a lot of redneck coming back up today. You read the book of Daniel, right? Uh, you can read the book. Gabriel, Michael the archangel. If you're Michael the archangel, here's what I believe God is saying. Stephen is a man of power. What does that power mean? It means he had boldness. And that is demonstrated in verse 7. I'll say this again. I say it in order to try to help. In the New Testament church, in the book of Acts, one of the number one prayer requests was for boldness. Boldness. You know what boldness is? It's the absence of intimidation. I'm not intimidated by ungodly people who don't love God because I know that God is with me. Boldness is not the absence of enemies or the absence of fear. Boldness is confidence in the presence of Jesus Christ. And Stephen was full of the Holy Ghost and they looked on him as an angel, like a countenance of an angel. And as in the context of Scripture, what I'm hearing there is he was not afraid of their resistance. What's happened today, we have so many different supposed varieties of the gospel and I fear that it's because it is a timid response to a world that hates holiness and therefore they hate God. And so not Stephen though, the purity is where we get power. I began to say, and I believe this with all my being, uh, that the reason we lack power in witness is because we lack purity in life. You and I cannot fill our hearts and minds with lust and pride and expect to have power to overcome temptation, have power in witness. Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Meaning our power comes from the Holy Spirit. But listen, how many of you think that the Holy Spirit is comfortable watching what you watch? You think the Holy Spirit is comfortable watching people commit fornication and adultery and get drunk? You think the Holy Spirit is comfortable listening to God's name be taken in vain? You think He's comfortable seeing homosexuality treated as though it is a normal lifestyle? He's the one who wrote against those things. And yet we expose Him to that as His vessels on a regular basis. Christian, you cannot fill your heart and mind with the things of sin and expect the power of God. 
Here's a man, Stephen, who's full of faith and power because he's made sure the Holy Ghost has room in his life. Heard a great message this week on staying sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. You and I are far more sensitive to the unbelieving person that we work with than we are often to the Spirit of God. We are more concerned with what people who don't even believe in Jesus Christ, what they think about us, than we are the author of our salvation. You with me? The fear of man bringeth a snare. One of the reasons we are trapped into mediocrity in this church and many others is we're too afraid of what people think of us. They raise a hairy eyebrow at you because you want to live for God. As long as he's happy, it doesn't matter. You know what I believe Stephen did? He lived his life to please his Holy Spirit, his Savior. He did not live his life to meet the approval of men. He did not live his life to be admired of men. That's evident how he lived and how he died. I mean no unkindness, but this room, I'm certain because of statistics and just because of the reality of things, is filled with individuals who are more afraid of what men think than more sensitive to what God thinks. And that, friend, cripples us. That's why we lose our boldness and witness. I'm testifying. When I'm afraid of speaking up for the Savior, it's because I'm more afraid of what that man thinks of me on the receiving end of the message I have to deliver. Boldness, by the way, is not rudeness. Boldness is telling the truth without apology. Speaking the truth in love. That's boldness. Well, the boldest message is recorded in the Bible. We're going to read it in just a moment. We're about done. In just a few moments. But the fact of the matter is, Peter or Stephen had power. The source of that power was how much of him the Holy Spirit had control of. And how much was that, by the way? How much control of Stephen did the Holy Spirit of God have? 100%. Being filled with the Spirit of God is not getting control of God. It's God being allowed to have control of us. Ask yourself this morning, how much influence... Think of that word. How much influence does the Holy Spirit of God have in my life? If you want a good test, how much influence do the Scripture verses in this book have on my decision-making? Am I more influenced about what, by what is normal in my world, or am I more influenced by what God says in this book? If I'm more influenced by what is normal in my world, I'm not like Stephen here. A pure heart means not only is the Holy Spirit present, the Holy Spirit, Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is preeminent. And so then there's power. But Stephen didn't use his power to become a sideshow. He used his power to serve God. He was a man full of faith and power. By that power, he served widows. He had the power to be a servant in his local church. He had the power to stand and boldly preach to men who were trying to kill him. I got news for you. I'm just going to be honest. I have a hard time preaching to a man who wants to cuss me, let alone kill me. Now, maybe not you, but it takes the filling of the Holy Spirit of God to overcome that. Remember that the evidence of filling of the Spirit is that we preach Christ boldly. And so then Stephen's purity brings us to Stephen's power. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen preaches. We find his proclamation. We're not going to read all Acts 7. Just don't be nervous. I want you to read with me the conclusion, though, in verses 51 through 53. If you were to read Acts 7, what Stephen does is he basically, he takes the Old Testament history of Israel and preaches it to men who already knew it. But what you'll find is a pattern in Acts chapter 7 is he preaches how God raised up Moses to deliver the nation of Israel and the people of Israel rejected Moses and rebelled against Moses. 
And God raised up Joseph and his brethren rejected him and threw him in prison. And he establishes a pattern for them that God raised up David and he raised up all these leaders and every leader that God raised up over Israel, they persecuted. Every prophet they persecuted. And so Stephen takes the scripture, he takes Old Testament Bible. You can read everything he preached in your Old Testament. He preached directly from the written word of God. And he didn't preach it with apology or criticism, he preached it with authority. He didn't say, well, we think it said this. He preached it. He opened the scriptures and he preached unto them Jesus, if you would. He brings them all the way down. He said, you rejected Moses, you rejected Joseph. Every deliverer God has raised up for you, you've rebelled against and rejected said, now God has given you the prophet, the Messiah, and you've rejected and murdered him. Look at Stephen's words in Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Does that, does, does preaching get any more, we would call this hellfire and brimstone preaching. Does it get any clearer than this? Stephen's looking on the men that have the ability to stone him. And he says, let's look at the history of our nation. You're just like our fathers. Everybody that the Holy Spirit of God sends to you, you resist. What, what prophets have you not persecuted? You are, you, let's read it again. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, that's Jesus, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they repented and sackcloth and ashes and believed on the Savior. I want you to do just a test with me real quick. How many of us, if you heard this kind of preaching today, someone calling his hearers stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart, murderers, betrayers, would say, yep, that's spirit-filled preaching. We've redefined what God has defined. The spirit-filled preaching today is considered this. Let's learn some new tidbits of facts from our Bible that make you feel more spiritual. We're all struggling. We're all broken. Go out and sin this week and don't feel too bad about it. Jesus died to save you from your sins, but you're still living in them and you are glorying and enjoying the things that put nails in His hands and thorns on His head and pierced His side and you defend those things that He died to redeem you from, but that's okay, He understands. It's not Spirit-filled preaching. No, no, it's not. You with me? The Spirit of God preserved in our Bibles a man filled with the Spirit And not everybody resists like these men. So not everybody needs to be responded to the same way. But God does resist the proud. Here's some proud men claiming to be righteous. And Stephen is saying, you can't be righteous. You've crucified the Son of God. Your fathers resisted everyone God sent, and so do you. And You cannot be righteous. You know what he's doing? He's using the Bible to convince them of their condemned state and show them you've committed the utter sin in rejecting God's Son on top of your adultery, on top of your drunkenness and, and covetousness. You've rejected the one who would save you from it. And you've covered it with false religion. That's a proclamation that is scriptural. Specific. Our third word will be sharp. 
You want to call it sharp? Look at verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the what? Heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. So you think they actually did? That's what the Bible says. But he being full of the Holy Ghost. Boy, you know what? In the face of adversity, he's still full of the Holy Ghost. Looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. I do not find, don't lose me here as we're about to be done in just a few minutes. I don't find Stephen preaching and giving a defense of the goodness of humanity. Stephen preached with a pure heart and defended the goodness of God. You with me? If you and I defend humanity today, we're nothing less or more than humanists. Nothing good in man. Not without Jesus Christ. The man that's pure in heart understands that. If there's any righteousness in me, it was a gift from God through His Son. And here's what we need. We need some folks today, pure enough in heart, to stand with our Savior. Like Stephen. Amen? Pure in heart, filled with the Holy Ghost. They're inseparable. Inseparable. And so here's a man in his proclamation. He is scriptural. He is specific. And he's sharp. You know, I was sharp. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Do you realize this morning, and I want to be very careful, But going about saying, I'm a Christian, does not make you have a pure heart. You must be born again. Meaning, there must be a time you actually believe God when He said that there is salvation in none other but Jesus Christ. And you say, it's a fact. If I reject that, I'll I'll go to hell. I believe it. There's a point where you say, but He also says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. But have, not get, have, now, everlasting life. I take God at His word. If I put my trust in Christ, He'll give me everlasting life. These men were so angry because they weren't willing to come to the first point of being convinced you need a Savior, and that is that you're a sinner. And Stephen had aptly taken the word of God, and the word of God cut them to the heart. It went right to where the problem was in their heart. But in the midst of this, as he is opposed, this man of purity and power with such a bold proclamation had great peace. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Verses 54 on down says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I wonder where he got the idea to pray something like that. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. You know what that tells me? Stephen did not preach to them, you're murderers, you're stiff-necked, you're betrayers of the Son of God because he hated them. If he had, he would have said, God, they just are killing me, get them! No, 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 no. His purpose was not to see him destroyed. He wanted to see him saved. Do you know that Stephen's prayer was answered? 
The last thing he prayed was, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. There's a man there named Saul. The Bible says Saul wreaked havoc on God's churches. And God didn't lay it to his charge, but rather brought him to a place of repentance, forgave him, and turned him into the Apostle Paul. I want to say this. I want to be a productive Christian. Do you not? The productivity comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Does it not? Bible tells us, if you're a Christian this morning, I'd say most people in here this morning have a testimony of salvation. I don't know hearts, but many of you have a testimony of salvation. This question for us as believers, do I want to see the kind of productivity where God could use me to see a Saul of Tarsus come to repentance and faith and God could raise up a mighty servant? Well, I want that, but it's going to take the kind of purity that Stephen had. A man full of faith. Not just faith present, but filled with faith. Full of the Holy Ghost. God gives us two commandments as Christians concerning the Holy Spirit. Quench not, grieve not. Don't do anything to displease or upset Him. The Spirit of God is very sensitive. Here's what happens. If you grieve Him, He'll leave you alone. I dare say there's probably Christians sitting in this room, the Spirit of God's spoken to you about something. You've told Him no enough, He's quit talking to you about it. You've grieved Him. You've told Him no enough, He says, okay. And then you're not full. To quench him is to put the light out. To pour water on a fire and say, I don't, I don't want that influence. I don't want the light. I don't want the heat. I don't want the flame. I wonder how many revivals the Holy Spirit of God has tried to start in the last 12 months. But has been quenched with lust, pride. I'm talking about a saved people. If God saved you, you're saved. It's eternal life. But it does tell us not to quench the Holy Spirit, which means we can. It tells us not to grieve him, which means we can. I believe this, if you're here this morning and he's quenched or grieved, he knows how to tell you where that's at. I want to be like Stephen, a man pure in heart, full of the spirit and power, that I might not only have his purity and power and proclaim with boldness, I want his peace. He had peace because he could see the Lord clearly and he had virtue from the Lord in his heart. So he didn't have to have angst or bitterness or anger against these men. He died without bitterness in his soul, having a clear perception of his Savior But I also want his productivity. Acts chapter 9, very quickly, we're done. Verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You know, a prick is something that cuts you. When do you think Saul's pricks started? Back in Acts chapter 7, where they were cut to the heart. You know what? We need to be the kind of Christians that our lives can cut to the heart of an unbeliever so that God can have room to work with them. I understand we don't save people, but God uses us to bring people to himself. I don't know about you. I want to be like Stephen, but... If we're going to have his productivity, we're going to have to have his purity. This morning you may be here. Again, I don't know hearts, but God does. And I wouldn't want to conclude the service without addressing this. You may have never in your heart been convinced that Jesus, number one, is who the Bible says he is, that you are who the Bible says you are, a sinner condemned, and that only the living Son of God has power and ability to save you. You may have never been born again. You may have never received the eternal life promised to you through faith in Jesus Christ. Are you assured this morning that the Holy Spirit of God is even dwelling in you? 
If not, oh friend, you're not here today just to be preached at. You're here for God to convince you of the truth. That you need Him to save you. Put your faith in Him. Call on Him. He'll save you. You may be here. I'll just say this. We have an invitation in a moment. The reason we do is to give us opportunity to meditate on what God's spoken to us about and respond with a decision. If you're here unsaved, let me just encourage you to do this. I'll be out in the foyer on the way out. You say, I need to talk to somebody. Then just stay. Hang around after church is done and say, I would like to speak to someone. Pastor, I'd like to speak to you. If you're a lady, we'd like to speak to you. And let, let the Lord have His way. If you already know what you need to believe, you can put your trust in Him right where you are. By all means, don't leave here without making settled in your own heart that you've been saved. That you, Your heart cannot be purified unless Christ purifies it. He's the only one who has the power to change you and wash your sins clean. Christian this morning, the message is so much for the person who's been saved. Is there anywhere I know the Spirit of God is displeased with my attitude of heart, my thoughts, my living? Am I quenching Him? Am I grieving Him? Am I... There are those who don't believe it's possible to limit the Lord, but the Bible says in Israel they limited the Holy One of Israel. This morning, am I limiting what God could do with me because I'm retaining something in His heart? He's there and He's been trying to clean it up. Maybe I'm holding on to lust or pride or bitterness or covetousness or stubbornness or rebellion. And the Spirit of God has been saying, let it go. Ben said God's Christ's last command of the church was go into all the world and preach the gospel. Actually, not so for a number of preachers address this, and it's true. His last command of the churches was repent. Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Repent. Or else, I'll take your candlestick. Maybe this morning the Spirit of God has been showing you a specific aspect of your life that you're defending. What God wants you to do is just agree with His Holy Spirit. If it is that you need to be saved, agree with Him. If you say, no, He's already pardoned my sins, and He's trying to clean you up, let Him fill you. Amen. Being filled with the Spirit of God is the command of the Christian. It's not an option. It's not for spiritual elites. It's for every child of God.